Well, welcome everybody to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave, Dave Niven, and today I am joined by Ruth Stark, who's the president of the International Federation of Social Workers and is also a, a practitioner still, so she's got a really busy time on her plate. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you. So just for the listeners, because we've got quite a, we've got a large UK audience, but uh, and also a large uh, worldwide audience, so it's quite good. If you could just explain a little bit about what the IFSW is, what it sort of does, what sort of things that the structure of IFSW, if you don't mind, to start with. Yes. Um, the International Federation of Social Workers represents probably now over a million social workers around the world. And to the members of the IFSW are actually the member associations from each country. So we have over 100 countries with organizations like BASWA, NASWA, ANAS in France, um, the unions and uh, social work associations in Denmark and Finland, in Argentina, in Uruguay, all of these countries have a national uh, member who form the 100 members that we have of IFSW. Um, within that, we're divided into five regions. So we have Europe, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean, North America and Asia Pacific. And each of these five regions has a regional president and they have people who are all volunteers who work with them in their regions to bring together regional activity um, in, 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 in their own parts mm. of the world and then we, we link globally. Such a global family, really. I mean, and I know that social work... Um, does mean some different things and different practice in some parts of the world, but essentially the, the underlying principles, the underpinning kind of policy is the same, isn't it? Well, it's interesting because if you're a UK social worker or if you work in the USA or in Australia, you tend to have a view of social work as about the individual, about the family. Um, and it has a, a quite prescribed way of working with people. If you are in Asia or Africa or um, perhaps in the Middle East, you will be looking at community social work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the focus, for example, of our newest member in Nepal is that our social workers there are now currently working with the aftermath of the earthquakes and are already to begin, beginning to work with people about restructuring their communities. Tell us a bit more about that, because as I understand it, you've also drawn from the experience of other member states who've experienced disaster. Is that, that was the case, wasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> One of the outstanding pieces of work that was done in the Asia-Pacific region in the last uh, three or four years follows uh, a number of earthquake situations in, in Japan and Taiwan um, and the, some of the devastation from typhoons in the Philippines and where whole communities have been destroyed, where there's been such a loss of life. And what they did was take some of um, our support 
finances and resources and have a, a, a meeting where they pool together all their skills and experience and produce some training materials for uh, colleagues about what works and what doesn't work in these disaster situations. Now, they've done this in uh, written form and they've done it in a video form. Because if you think of the Asia-Pacific region, you have got 80 different languages within that one region. So you have to provide training materials that people can access by language, by sight, by other means than just relying on the written word because of the difficulties about communication. Mm. But the principles that they operate are all social work principles, which is you start with where the people are, you help analyze the situation with them about where, what the issues are, about what needs to be changed. You work on a joint plan, a co-production, and you work with them through that plan to rebuild their societies. And then you leave them to get on with their lives once you have got fully functioning communities again. And one of the things that came out of the, the study of what happened in the Philippines was we had two villages next door to each other. And in one, the, the, the community who didn't have access to the skills of the social worker um, waited for the, for the aid, waited for something to be done to them. Yeah. The other community that had social workers who were working with them showed that started working on rebuilding their societies themselves and um, they are now fully functioning um, communities and the other community is still stuck in in its old um, waiting for something to happen. So very distinct, different outcome, yes. yes. Absolutely. So what our Nepalese colleagues are doing uh, is because they've been part of the, our community of learning about all of that, is they've said, hey, can, can, can somebody help us on, uh, and, and, and mentor us as we go through this whole process um, of, of these earthquakes and, and what we do after that? Mm. And so there's a, a lot of shared learning. And that's one of the principles and one of the founding principles behind the International Federation of Social Workers was really to get people learning from each other across national boundaries. Definitely, sure. So it's shared communication, but also shared practice, shared experience. And also a, a rather uh, perhaps undersung thing is uh, su personal support. Absolutely. And one of the reasons that IFSW has NGO status at the UN, which we gained in the 1950s, was because of the work that social workers did after World War II, when there were many, many displaced people because of the war and the work that was done in resettling in, in communities across Europe. Um, and that and, and that work with refugees was one of the real starting points for um, IFSW as we know it today. Mm. And so working with displaced people, which we all do all of the time, whether it's 
people who are displaced because of an, a disaster, because of a war, or because they've been abused within their own families. Because one of the things, if you think about uh, people, uh, the survivors of sexual abuse within their families, is that they describe being very outside of the family, very not connected at all. And that in, that's about emotional displacement. So one of the, the key factors in all of this is working with people who don't feel feel part of where they are physically um, in an emotional and psychological mm. sense. I mean, one of the things too, I suspect, uh, I mean, it's an enormous problem, it's an enormous headache, but that's the scale sometimes of things. You know, social work often, you see, you mentioned it as individual and community, depending on what part of the world you're in. I mean, but one of the things, I was talking to um, a woman who's doing a study in India, an Indian social worker. Um, she's doing it in conjunction with uh, Royal Holloway, the University of London here. And that's looking at a particular, um, one of the 29 regions of India. And this particular region has 44 million inhabitants, which essentially, you know, is only just two thirds almost, you know, of, of the United Kingdom. And they're looking at village by village uh, issues to do with child sexual exploitation, to do with trafficking, to do with the treatment of girls especially. I mean, and the sheer scale of it was almost overwhelming listening to her, you know, just how how difficult this was. To It was like turning around a, an oil tanker at sea effectively, but, you know, but a but hundred times more difficult. I, I suspect that's the sort of IFSW problems that you have to wrestle with most days. Well, that's right, and, and and when you realise how few social workers there are to deal with, to to work with all of those kind of issues, it, it's really it's really um, we have to rethink some of the way that we do things. Um, on World Social Work Day this year, we were at UN AIDS in Geneva, and our one of our uh, executive members from Zimbabwe was talking about. Uh, social work um, with people who have been affected by HIV AIDS in Africa mm -hmm. and he was talking about you know one social worker to 50,000 people you know that is very different from how we practice in the UK or how people practice um, in, in other parts of the developed world but it but the, the scale of the problem is not just as UNAIDS would suggest, about eliminating HIV AIDS. But it's a long-term damage that um, has happened to communities where we now have many uh, orphan children um, mm. because their parents have died. Yeah. Um, and the long-term structural problems mm. of... Uh, the countries that have been devastated by that disease, which in the developed world is now considered not a killer disease, but a chronic illness mm. that people learn to live with. The contrast is massive. And one of the things that we, when, when we go with from IFSW to talk to people like UNAIDS or the World Bank or WHO is to try and help them think through not just the single issue of HIV AIDS and how it affects the person, 
but how it affects the communities in which um, it exists. And one, one of the recent um, successes, I think, that we had in, in our discussion on World Social Work Day was talking to a representative from the World Bank who was acknowledging that a lot of their interventions are short-term, that their research is short-term, but actually the kind of issues that they're looking at are really long-term systemic problems that need long-term interventions. Mm, Definitely. And, And one of my things that I bang on about as the president of IFSW is how much social work research is done on short-term issues rather than looking at the long-term. And this is uh, an issue that uh, I share in common with the president of the International Schools of Social Work, um, who's based in India. And so we talk a lot about the importance of community social work, long-term research, and about strengthening people's ability to deal with their own problems um, rather than the kind of uh, sticking plaster human humanitarian aid approach that really doesn't produce the long-term results mm-hmm. that we're looking for. Let me tease out a few of the things there that you were saying there. Let's start with the fact that IFSW has got <clears throat> NGO status, non-governmental organization yeah. status at the United Nations. Um, in your experience working with IFSW, and I know you've only been the president for a short period, but you have had kind of um, an eye on things for quite some time. I mean, do you feel that social work is accepted um, as a, a, both a credible and effective um, profession uh, in the, the kind of the corridors of the United Nations? In some places, yes. Okay. Not everywhere, but in some places, and probably some of the, m- the more important places. And I think that's got something to do with some of the actions that we have been taking in trying to address issues of cultural change as much as uh, physical change. And let me give you an example. Um, well, I was elected in July last year. And within the week that I was elected, not only had I chaired the next day my first executive meeting, um, but uh, then we'd gone full full on into a a world conference and Israel and Palestine erupted all in the same three or four days. Um, And we have members both in Israel and in Palestine. And um, Mm. we were being urged to make a statement about the destruction. Now, I'm of the view that you can make lots of statements, but actually what we really want is action. And what we really want is some changes. So we have made statements, but they have been statements which have had a purpose to ask people to reflect upon some of the critical issues that uh, fuel that conflict, but also to think about some of the issues in the wider region in the Middle East, um, because it's not just about 
the, Ga the Gaza Strip. It's also about some of the um, other developments that are going on with ISIS um, and, uh, and so on. And the issues we strip back to principles and values of social work and how is it that people um, seek to have power and control over others in the way that they do. Um, and if you start thinking about these kind of conflicts in terms of social work, you start thinking, how do we help people move to a situation of being angry with each other, with warring with each other, to having that lack of trust, to, to moving to that situation where they can begin to live side by side peacefully. Yes, it's interesting. I'll let, let me just interrupt you a second there, because about a year or so ago, I did a, a, a program with the president of the Russian Federation. Yes. Um, and, uh, and one of the things she was talking about, because it was just a flashpoint then in terms of the Ukraine, and um, she was actually saying that she had quite a good relationship with the president of the Ukrainian Association, yes. and that it was a pity that they couldn't talk to each other. Yes. Uh, you know, just a small kind of memory I've got, but it seemed to make the point that you were saying there. Yes, and I think that there's a huge amount that social workers, what we know about how people can change is so important to achieving peace in the world. Um, and I'm fascinated that as the, as just in the, period of the last couple of years, we've had a huge growth in membership of member associations in the Middle East joining IFSW. And this includes colleagues in the Yemen who are at the moment um, in the most awful war situation. Um, and the focus is not on them particularly because the media picks up on Israel and Palestine before they'll pick up on on what else is going on in the world. And even just this morning, we were hearing about the boat people uh, who are um, mm. in, uh, trying to get to Thailand. Uh, and yet our, our news is filled with the, the, the people who are trying to get to Europe from um, North Africa. Yeah. But... There are huge movements of people going along, going around the world, um, partly because of climate, partly because of mm. war, partly because of um, uh, tribal factions that are going on. Um, but people, it takes a lot for people to want to move from where they are in those kind of awful human trafficking kind of circumstances um, and I don't think there's enough thought going into or planning at the high political levels about the causes of these people moving well, in the way that they're moving. Right. Let's take, take a little bit of that for a second because um, maybe we can move into, I don't know what your thoughts are on the relationship, let's say between, broadly speaking, between social work and law enforcement. 
Um, because in my view, obviously, and I think people would agree, I'm sure you would too, one of the, the greatest challenges to us is, is cyberspace and um, the abuse of, of, of both children in their tens of thousands, but also of, of adults um, from all sorts of angles from people who want to kind of take advantage and prey on the vulnerable. But to my mind, there doesn't seem to be enough. I'd, I'd like your thoughts on this. There, there's, there's advances in terms of law enforcement, in terms of identification of criminals, or in terms of stopping crime and trying to match cyber criminals. But there's not really, to my view, enough advance in terms of identification of victims of crime, especially children on the web, because there are, we know there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of, of, of children who are victimized and displayed for um, adults' pleasure and in organized crime online and that's a worldwide um, activity but the technology doesn't seem to be keeping up with the, um, the the need to identify are these still being victimized where are they how can we stop them how can we interrupt this is that something that's crossed your desk at all yes but i'd rather talk about it in terms of the social work responsibility and all of that because that's where i have been most horrified um and um Part of my work when I'm not being president of IFSW is doing um, reports for people who are facing deportation. Mm -hmm. And um, I come across people who have had, who have arrived in this country with some of the most horrendous, horrendous journeys. I had one young man who's... Um, saw his father being shot in front of him when he was three to four years old, um, then was trafficked basically to the UK. Um, then they had, uh, then he was um, beaten up by the people that he was staying with. And then he went, was in public care from about the age of seven um, through till, um, 16, 17, and then he did get some aftercare until he was about 21. Um, but this young man who had seen his father shot, his mother had abandoned him. He had um, experienced horrific torture, actually, at the hands of uh, the families before he came into care. And I read the care records, and all I could read was... Um, about the current problems that this young man was displaying in terms of his anger and violence towards other people. Oh, and he had been very severely sexually abused. Um, and um, there were some issues about his sexuality. And the concentration of the social workers dealing with this case was simply on what was happening in the here and now without ever addressing the trauma that this young person had been through in the first seven years of his life. And I just read this with disbelief. Mm. And I don't think there's enough time or energy spent on understanding the journeys that some of these young people that arrive in our country have had. Um, 
And I think that comes from um, not understanding some of the cultures um, in in some of the countries uh, and people just looking at this as a child in Scotland rather than this is a child who has journeyed from Africa. Take your story there, Ruth, and multiply it by however many tens of thousands of times right around the world. And I, I rather suspect there are social workers in practice, as you are in practice as well here, yes. who are experiencing some of the frustrations that you're, you're kind of outlining there. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Oh, I think so. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that um, when you... I, I mean, I... I suppose one of, for me, one of the things that um, most upset me recently about uh, Mr. Cameron was his uh, view that we would, should not take asylum seekers from the um, boat, from 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 southern Europe who who have actually managed to find dry land and safety. Um, because we are overpopulated? I don't think so. Well, let's talk about that part of the world, because obviously you've got, you've got quite a lot of activity there at the moment. I'm thinking about the Syrias, the Libyas, etc., that, that, yes. that part of North Africa. Oh. Um, I mean, and colleagues there, associations there. What, what, what sort of um, interactions have you managed to have in such a kind of shattered country at the moment? Amazingly, through Facebook. I mean, you talk about the problems with social media, but the way that we get information is through through social media. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I my I I get daily updates from people in the Middle East about what is happening. And it's quite difficult because I have to rely a lot on Bing Translate to find out what's being said. <laughs> And it's not always great. Sometimes I have to go onto Google Translate and see which one works out better. Um, uh, Mm. But they talk about um, just some of the horrors that they are living through. Um, But they're social workers and they're trying their best to work with their communities to deal with the loss, the death, the destruction, the homelessness, um, yeah. and and we, we, we have yet to develop um, ways that we can um, communicate more um, constructively with them um, and Rory Trull the um, General Secretary has been to some of the places well he's been to, to Egypt uh, where they were able to assemble um, from various countries around uh, that area. Um, and, and I think this is the next challenge for IFSW, is how we learn to work together and learn to work uh, uh, around what the issues are. They're as terrified about what ISIS is doing as anybody else is. And um, we we need to be sharing what we already know about conflicts and power and control um, mm. to help 
them with the struggles that they're going through. It's interesting too, going back again to your division, if you like, between, if you like, some of the industrialised Western countries where the social work's about more about the, the, the kind of the individual and um, other parts of the world, including what we've just been talking about, where social work's more about community. But the social work with the individual here, for example, in the UK, is all about, to a large extent, resolution of conflict within families or within education, within health, within the individual lives of people, the conflict that they come across every day and the social worker trying to alleviate that. Whereas in the parts of the world you're talking about there with the community approach, essentially, you're talking about social workers trying to deal with the, the results of conflict. Yes. And, and it's an interesting kind of split in terms of the international family of social work. I mean, is that fair? Well, it is an interesting one, but I think there are more commonalities in this area than we we have yet thought about. And one of the sessions that we're going to have at the European Conference um, in uh, September in Edinburgh is taking what we know from the social work profession who worked in Northern Ireland, in Bosnia, um, during the conflicts and after the conflicts um, about some of the really big issues around conflict resolution. Mm. And we've seen some of that from the work in South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, and people talk about, well, do how do truth and reconciliation committees work? We've seen it in Malawi as well. Um, and I think one of the things that um, I, I always remember the president for Africa saying to me, um, for the African region saying to me, you know, one of the biggest problems we had post-Malawi was... Um, the International Criminal Court. And I'd always been a great supporter of the International Criminal Court. But what he said to me was, it requires neighbor to speak against neighbor because it takes an adversarial point of view. And it doesn't take that that view about how do, how, and, and, and it gets tied up with, how do people get a sense of social justice for themselves? Mm. And is there another way other than the adversarial way? Because neither the truth and reconciliation route nor the adversarial route seem to, to necessarily meet all the needs of the people who are then trying to live together when they have been in conflict and when they need to um, and they want to live side by side and rebuild that trust. Yeah, so some interesting parallels here too. And, and funny, just as you were saying that there, because one of the things I've often thought is, in the UK we have the adversarial system of justice. They have, you know, especially if you're talking about childcare, you know, working on children's yeah. cases, where um, our system in, in, is all about winning. Yes. Whereas uh, uh, not far away in our neighbours, this is the parallel you're talking about there in Africa, in our neighbours, for example, in France and other places like that, they have the inquisitorial system of justice, yes. which is all about getting at the truth. 
Mm-hmm. And effectively, you know, they have even have the juge des enfants in France where, you know, who can actually go and live with a family if necessary to try and find out what's happening. Now, I mean, I've often thought, I know the Scottish system with the panels and so forth is that just that little bit more up the ladder towards that. But it's it's nowhere near what people would, would really argue for um, in terms of the best needs of children. So I'm just, it's just a nice parallel there. You're talking the international dimension. Yes, I mean, I, we, I, having worked in Scotland for so many years, um, I found myself going around various places like in, in Scandinavia um, and in Eastern Europe talking about the children's hearing system um, because people were interested in it as a way forward, away from that adversarial system and about concentrating on the needs and not the deeds of children mm. um, and I think that that there's still a huge amount in that system that can address that and if you hear um, somebody uh, uh, some of the presentations currently being done by who cares Scotland who are uh, care leavers in in Scotland talking mm. about their experiences of the panel system some of them have had really really good experiences we need to hear um, that more don't we the good experiences yes, yeah yeah and and I think there's something about hearing about what really does work. And I know that uh, going back to the situation about conflict um, in communities, uh, I mean, some of the work that's being done by people like Jim Campbell um, from University College Dublin, uh, are really interesting pieces of research around um, what happens um, and what are some of the processes that have worked in terms of communities coming together. Okay, Ruth, we're, we're sort of coming to the end of our interview now, and I, I just want to ask you a sort of a final wrap-up yeah. question, if you will. You, you, I mean, obviously, you've mentioned the European Conference of IFSW that's um, being organised by the British Association of Social Workers in Edinburgh in September, and I think people should always look out for that, and I'm sure if they visited the websites that they would do so. I'll put a link um, on, on my website for that. But, Thanks. But, but generally, speaking to the social work community... That's what I'd, I'd, I'd ask you, if you would. Two quick things. Firstly, would you still encourage people around the world to take up social work as a profession? And secondly, do you have optimism as to the family of social work internationally from what you've seen since you've been the president? Oh, yes, I would still recommend social work as a profession. I think one of the best things about it is seeing people change people who've been so distressed and so troubled and you see them maybe a year two years later and they are different people they're lively they're contributing to their societies they're that's just terrific and i think that's the best thing to get out of social work and um and if you live stay long enough in one place people do when they pass you in the street or meet you on the bus, and they say, hey, Ruth, that was, you know, and then they tell you what they've been doing. And that's, I think, one of the best bits about doing social work. Okay, Ruth Ruth Stark, exactly. thanks very much indeed for Can, that. Okay. Just make the second point quickly. Go on then, I did ask you. Yes, please. <laughs> you did ask me the, yeah. the second one, um, which was about uh, people... Um, about about what we can do um, internationally. internationally. The global dimension 
of taking what we know works for people on the ground to the very highest levels and all the levels in between has so much to contribute to how we can create good, sustainable social development. And that can only be good for the world. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, there we are. That's Ruth Stark from the International Federation of Social Workers. A million social workers worldwide. It's quite staggering, really, isn't it? What a family that is. Now, coming up soon during the uh, early part of the summer, I've got uh, Professor Harry Ferguson from Nottingham University. A fantastic interview with him. He's a friend of this podcast and really good value. I've got an interview at the end of June coming up with um, Annie Hudson, from the College of Social Work. And I'm going to bring in lots of different guests and lots of different um, opinions, if you like, from around the world in social work. And I think that's how it should be. We need to get more fed into this country in terms of issues, ideas, opinions, etc. You can listen to this as usual through downloading it from iTunes or on the website, of course, itself, uh, socialworldpodcast.com, thoughts on the social world. Or you can get Podfeed, Stitcher, whatever. I have a great deal of thanks to offer to uh, Alba Digital Media for their help in putting this podcast together. So thank you very much to them. And keep these things coming through SpeakPipe. I mean, um, your opinions matter. They really do. I'd love to hear ideas from you. All you have to do is click on SpeakPipe, SpeakPipe on the website Leave your ideas. I'll either pop it in the next podcast or I'll just take note of them and try and do what you're asking. So uh, keep listening. Many thanks to you. We're now in 81 countries this podcast is going into. So let's hear it from some of you listeners abroad as well. Many thanks. See you next time.